from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, and this is Creator Talks. Thank you for joining me as I continue to explore the Bat Family corner of the DC Universe with veteran writer and artist Dan Jurgens. Among Dan's vast body of work is the 1992 classic Death of Superman. He also had runs on Thor, Captain America, and the sensational Spider-Man. Currently, Dan is writing Batman Beyond, and one of the artists on the series is Sean Chen, with whom he has collaborated before. I asked Sean to comment about working with Dan and shared his feedback with Dan. Both creators have in common working for Valiant Comics during the 1990s. Dan reflects on a few highlights while writing Solar Man of the Atom. Dan explains why every comic he writes still contains enough exposition to make the issue accessible to new readers. We also talk about comic book anniversaries and how they've lost some of their luster with the increasing frequency of these milestone issues. Dan explains what is key for him to make an issue worthy of containing extra pages that demand a higher price tag. Dan is also currently writing Nightwing. Dick Grayson returns as the titular character, beginning with issue number 75. Dan took over the reins writing Nightwing with issue number 59. He explains his approach to keeping the series a Nightwing comic book until Dick's return. We also talk about Superman, Batman v Superman, Snyder Cut, and all that Death of Superman art. What happened to it? To start our interview, I check in with Dan to see how he's faring during the coronavirus pandemic and how he safely connected with local fans at a Minnesota comic shop during a recent signing event. All that and more, here now on Creator Talks. Dan, welcome to Creator Talks. Good morning, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great on this bright, sunny day. Going to reach a high of 108. (laughs) Yeah, that is bright and sunny. I wasn't going to talk COVID because I'm like, oh, that just gets so dated. And this has been going on for months and months and months, so it's not really dated anymore. So how are you doing? How are you making out in Minnesota? Doing okay. I mean, part of it is that, like uh, many creators, in some ways, my job hasn't changed that much. You know, I'm still doing the work I was doing. I kind of uh, have a studio and office set up that I'm continuing to work in. It's not like I was in an office building with 300 other people and then got sent home or anything like that. So to a certain extent, for me, there have not been a lot of changes. I think the changes are more related to what has happened with stores, conventions, uh, publishing schedules, and things like that. I did see you did something really cool that at Mind's Eye, you did a signing before the customers came and the books were all set and ready for you so they could get their signed copy. That's really cool. Yeah, it worked out really well. Mind's Eye Comics is a very nice comic shop here in the Twin Cities metro area of Minnesota. Also happens to be the only black-owned store in the state. And so we wanted to do what we could to give them a little bit of a boost. And, you know, it's kind of hard to go sit down and say, well, I'm going to do a signing and then have a line out the door or anything like that. So what we did is we invited the customers for like a week to two weeks advance notice and everything, drop off your books, leave them there, and I'll be happy to sign them. And then I went in before the store actually opened, signed what I could for people. The fans got their signed books. Everybody was happy. And, you know, it was one of those accommodations to the reality we live in. I just love the ingenuity that we're coming up with to keep business going because we have to find a way to get around some of these things or at least adapt to it 
for the short term to keep things running. Exactly. And, you know, we're seeing it on every level. It's just like Sunday night, went to a place that was a restaurant that often had live music acts. And what they did is they had actually moved everything out into their parking lot, uh, put up big pavilion type tents and everything to just block the shade and everything. Everyone is still outside. Tables are set up so you're all six feet apart. And it was my first time to see live music in quite some time. And everybody really appreciated that. And yeah, the creativity that is going into this is kind of inspiring to see. Well, I'm glad you're doing well there. I've been throughout this great land of ours, <laughs> a few places here and there traveled, and I actually have been to Minnesota. I went there back in 96 around Thanksgiving for a work meeting, and uh, I was in a diner. I went there twice. I went back in 99, too, just before well, the millennium. And hopefully not like during a massive cold spell or anything like that. Well, I do remember a massive snowstorm hit right when we were there for that meeting in 96, and we were like, are we going to make it back for Thanksgiving? And we did. <laughs> we got socked with snow. Well, I will say this. As someone who lives in the area, you know, when it comes to weather management, snow management at an airport, things like that, I mean, there is none better in the land than what we have here. You know, it's like all things. It's just like our discussion about COVID in a way, which is that you find a way to cope and make life work. Yeah. We don't have to worry about snow here too much, though. I think we'd be crippled. But on to comics. Yeah. Wow. Batman Beyond. I liked the cartoon series when it came out. In fact, that was one of the first, I think it was the very first DVD I bought when they came out, like around 2000. It was a four-episode disc. It wasn't the whole series yet. It's just four episodes. And that book just keeps on going. It gets rebooted, but that's one of those branches of Batman that just keeps going. And it is great to have you on the book and now on there with Sean Chen, too, who I love his artwork. And I'm glad to see him on a monthly book again. Thank you. And it's great to work with Sean again. You know, we have worked together a few times over the past. This is probably our longest run together. And, you know, I first met Sean and Bernard Chang, who was drawing the book previously a couple of years ago during their youthful days at Acclaim Comics when they were on staff and everything there. And it's been good to work with both of them. I think they both have a very good visual style for Batman Beyond. The book takes place in the future. And what both those guys have been very adept at doing is sort of portraying the architecture and the world of the future, which I think is so much a part of this book's backdrop. Neo-Gotham. Right. You know, it's funny you mentioned those days of the claim because I remember, and I still have, and I did read, all your Solar Man of the Atom ones that you did, uh, 46 to 54. Right. And it's funny that Sean was on that book, too, doing the covers. I think he did the cover right before your arc started. Yeah, because I know after that, I was doing the covers. Bob Layton inked my first one, and then after that, I think it was Dick Giordano the rest of the way. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. You know, I asked Sean about working with you now. And here's some of the things that he said. So many newer writers these days can be problematic with their lack of chops or having an agenda infused into everything they write that can be very polarizing with the fans. But he says it's very easy for a project that you worked on for months to fall completely flat because of a writer's hot takes or personality that spoils the whole project right out of the gate. But he says of you, Dan, you seem to be above and immune to all that. Well, that's very nice to hear. And um, I don't know necessarily who or what he was referring to, nor would I want to guess. You know, I was fortunate to have come in the industry when almost all the editors I first worked with, by and large, 
had been freelancers prior to becoming editors. In other words, they knew what it took to do the jobs we were doing. You know, one of my first editors was uh, Ross Andrew, who had drawn comics for years. And so in working with Ross as a young artist, we could talk about anatomy, we could talk about perspective, we could talk about the nuance of the jobs that we were working on together. The other part of it is, and I think this is the most important thing, is that in working with editors who had been on our side of the desk as a writer or as an artist, or maybe as both, there was a certain expectation of professionalism and approach to comics that I think we have lost in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. One thing that Sean did say about you is that you're a seasoned veteran. You've been on both sides, you know, artist, writer, as you said, and you've always been gracious. And your immense knowledge and experience in the business has helped you be the ideal mentor for him. So that professionalism is definitely showing through and is certainly appreciated by your co-collaborators. Well, I appreciate that. That was very kind of him to say. And one of the things about Sean and why I like working with Sean and guys like him is that, again, they bring that same aspect to the job, that same level of sort of commitment and dedication where it is, here's what, you know, the job of drawing Batman Beyond is. And it is capturing this world, is capturing this, this environment of the future. If you go back to the cartoon from the moment it started out with the theme song and the sets, backgrounds, whatever you want to call them, that you were seeing on air and everything, it is clear that we are in a different world. And that's part of what we try and bring to the book and what I look for every artist to bring. Well, when you guys started this arc, this last arc, when you first started working with Sean, one of the really cool things you introduced was Batwoman. And there were hints that she'll be back. Yes. <laughs> I think what we wanted to do, because one of the fun aspects of Batman Beyond is playing with the different generations. And so if we're to extrapolate that it's 30 to 40 years in the future, which is sort of the loose description that we use, mm -hmm. then that means that certainly Dick Grayson is old enough at that point to be a parent himself and to have a daughter in Elena who why not pick up the mantle somehow and work in, shall we say, the family business and become, in this case, Batwoman. And I think that's part of the fun aspect of this title is that since it is a world that takes place in the future, we can play around with some of these things. And everyone's there. You have Dick Grayson, Damien, Bruce, uh, even Alfred. <laughs> yeah. AI Alfred. And uh, the voices are all correct. I mean, they all fit. Of course, I mean, you're a pro. You know this stuff. And one thing I've seen with every book of yours I've read, be it Batman Beyond or Nightwing, every issue, and this is something I don't see too much these days, every issue is a jumping on point because without over expounding upon things, you do catch a reader up with what's going on very simply in a few panels, which I really appreciate that because it does make it very approachable to jump on at any point. Thank you, Chris. I try. I know that I wrestle with that a little bit. I do have people tell me that that is sort of an outmoded approach, mm -hmm. that any sense of expository writing is not the way to go these days. At the same time, I know that I will often go into a store and I'll pick up like 10 books that I have not been reading. And I'll just, for whatever reason, want to check them out and say, you know, where are you at with this particular character? What's happening here? Often it'll be a recommendation from someone about a particular writer, artist, character, development for the character, whatever. 
And I often find that I'm lost by page three. Now, maybe that's a reflection on me and my inability to grasp what's right in front of me. Or maybe it also has something to do about the way that particular book was crafted. And I do think that in order to play fair with audiences, we should always keep in mind that it's entirely possible someone is picking up that book for the first time and you want to give them the necessary information they need to move forward. And then later when it's collected as a trade or whatever, then we can edit things a little bit so it's not necessarily there or worded the same way. But in the meantime, we are still, for the most part, a monthly medium. And I think that's important to do. And it's an important way to approach the job. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know nowadays it's, well, it's going to be collected as a trade. And that's where the all the expository information can be a bit much. But like you said, you can always change that. And 30 days is a long time. If you're reading a lot of comics, if you're reading comics, watching TV, reading books, where did I leave off? Because 30 days nowadays, it seems like it's an awful long time because so much goes on in 30 days. It's nice to be able to just pick them and go, oh, yeah, that's right, and be right back into the story. I agree with you. I think one of the things I really liked about the Rebirth stuff when we were doing action and everything is, and I just found as a consumer, the ability to get books that were coming out every two weeks. I felt as a reader much more engaged mm. with those books. And it's like the imagery than everything in the story that I would have been exposed to survived that two week gap much better than it survives a 30 day gap. And in just reading books that way, I came to realize it's like, wow, this is a good way to tell a story. And I say that not from a writer's perspective, but more from a reader's perspective. Right. And you've been on the title for a while. Let the listeners know where we are now with the connection with Ra's al Ghul and where we're headed. Right now, what we have found out is, and I think this is fun to do in terms of the more science fiction aspect of Batman Beyond, is Ra's al Ghul is dead. And Damien has sort of taken over for everything in the Himalayans. Uh, Damien is now sort of the head of the League of Assassins, the head of the demon, and all that stuff that Rush al Ghul held. And because he was trying to move them in a less confrontational, less violent direction, he was overthrown. And now the people who have taken power for Rush al Ghul finally want to institute his vision, which is to essentially exterminate human life on Earth, repurify the planet, and move forward. And to do that, they're instituting a new ice age that is sweeping across the planet. And of course, that means it's up to our heroes, Batman, Damien, uh, Batwoman, and of course, Damien's pal Goliath, to stop this plan. And they have an orbiting space platform that is circling Earth, that is launching these satellites that are building an energy grid that is blocking the sun's rays. And so, like I say, this isn't your standard Batman of now plot, but if we look at a world, say 40 years in the future, I think it fits the concept of Batman beyond very well. And we're having a lot of fun with it, which will then take us into a storyline in 48 and 49, in which Batman beyond comes to this time, courtesy of Booster Gold to perhaps meet and deal with Bruce Wayne as his younger days. And that's going to be a fun story too. So it is this fun book that I think allows us to do and say a lot about the world of Batman and that particular character. And of course, Booster Gold being a character that you created. Yeah, I'm a little familiar with that character. Yeah. <laughs> but 
you know, for the purposes that we needed, which was a time travel character, it mm-hmm. worked out very, very well. And we're having a lot of fun with it. Now, is it still going to be the same art team? I know occasionally you have another artist step in to help out. Uh, those two issues are going to be drawn by Paul Pelletier so that we can get Sean all set to go for issue 50. Would that be a regular sized or giant sized? At this point, it's going to be a regular sized issue. So many comics these days, and this has happened more and more, is that there's an anniversary, it seems like, every year because comics don't run for those long periods like they used to for 100 issues, 200 issues. I mean, with action and detective comics, yes, there was the big thousand issue and it should have been a huge thing and it was. But so many comics make everything an anniversary. Some publishers even combine the runs of a character over different titles and say, aha, this is the 200th issue, so now it's a giant-sized. And It just doesn't seem as special. It should be special. And I remember when there was an anniversary issue, much like yours coming up, it was just a regular size. It was just a dang good story. That was the key thing with great characters, but not necessarily backup stories and a higher price tag. Right. And I know exactly what you mean. And often, you know, it would have a special cover and the cover would somehow commemorate it. But yeah, it would be a normal sized issue. But then I also remember more that when we moved into the 80s and some of this was for the more special stuff, like an issue 500 or 600 or 700, something like that. Then they got bigger and bigger. And I like that as well. I think there's room for both. But I also recognize what you're saying. I think For me, Chris, it boils down to this. If the content is special enough that it makes it worth the cover price, then great. If the content isn't there, then let's just go with it in a more normal format. Agreed. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, it's what's between the pages that really matters to me. The price tag, if it's justified, if it's a good story, if it's good content. Right. Exactly. So how much further, and I know this is a tough call, do you think you would stick with Batman Beyond? I don't know. We'll have to see. Obviously, what we're looking at now is the market, which has been so affected by COVID-19. I think we're all trying to figure out what exactly that market is right now and what kind of books it wants and what kind of format it wants these books in and just how healthy it is, how much product do retailers want, that kind of thing. So I think we're looking at all of that. So obviously, I've been having great fun on the title. I would love to keep going on it because I think there are plenty of stories to tell with this group of characters that we have. But some of that is up to the world around us. And it's pretty hard to analyze all of that right now. Mm. Yeah, just have to take it one month at a time right now. And for us, one day at a time in the real world. (laughs) It really is. And especially as we see things around us, what we certainly see in so many different ways is just a lack of stability where whatever you think something is on Monday by Wednesday, it seems to have changed. And I think we're all looking for that in a lot of different aspects of our lives. Well, the comics do give me a sense of stability, you know, a little bit of escapism, something I can count on. Even if it's delayed a bit beyond no one's control, it's good to have them there. I agree. And I think one of the things that has become really important that I've seen is, and we've always known this to be uh, kind of a truism, but it's still the case. And that is the social aspect of going to your local comic store. That is clearly so important for people. And I know, you know, we had retail stores closed here for a while, as almost every place did. And then finally, when you could get back to the store, 
and engage with the customers that you might have been seeing for years and consider friends, the staff, the ownership, things like that. And I think that's a very important part of who we are as an industry. And it's been good for everybody to have that back. And that gets us back to that idea of, you know, you walk in a store and you're talking to a few people and someone will say, hey, did you see issue 53 of blah, 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 whatever. And you pick it up. And that is part of the social activity that is important. And that's especially true, I think, when we don't have conventions. Oh, that's been a big change this year. That's something I look forward to every year is going to a convention. Now I'm like, that'd be the last place I'd want to be. Yeah, it's pretty hard to imagine, isn't it? It's a conversation that I've been having with a lot of different creators, which is what is it going to take to get you to go back? And I think that answer is different for different creators based on health, age, the amount they want to travel and a lot of different other factors. And there's no universal answer yet. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know what accommodations conventions may have to make once they come back. We shall just have to see. Well, they will come back. It's just going to be some time. It might be a year or two, but they'll be back. Right. Well, I want to touch on your other title, Nightwing. You have art by Ronan Cliquet on that and colors by Nick Flaherty. Yeah. And every now and then, uh, we also have Travis Moore stepping in to help us out. And right now, what I've been working on this morning, as a matter of fact, is Nightwing 75, which is drawn pretty much 50-50 by Travis and Ronan. So we're just trying to get you know, Nightwing 75 into shape so we can get that on the stands in a couple of months. That's great. And it's an interesting issue because Dick Grayson is back. Several months he's been struggling with memory loss due to a gunshot to the head. And he's taken on the persona of Rick. And I know some fans don't like it. And, you know, you're not going to please everybody. And I'm wondering, how do you keep that balance between trying something outside the box and trying something different without having people drop the book? How do you manage to find that balance? Dick Grayson, Nightwing, had been shot in, I think it was Batman number 55. And then by the time he got to his own book, you know, he was in Blue Haven without his memory, uh, living as Rick Grayson. And that had existed, what, maybe eight issues or so before I came into it. And I think part of it is there were aspects of that that didn't necessarily hold together and make it a Nightwing story. If a book is called Nightwing, I think it still has to be a Nightwing story somehow. So I went into it and said, okay, how do we make this a little more interesting to people so it's still a Nightwing story? And so I came up with the idea that what happened is after Dick got shot, he was actually treated by a therapist, a neurotherapist, who in truth was a member of the Court of Owls. And they were using crystals and medicines, drugs, things like that to actually cause his amnesia. For them, it was part of the larger goal, which was to turn him into a talent. So rather than just have it be, here's the story of Richard Grayson without his memory, uh, we turned it into a plot in which he was being engineered into this situation. And I think that helped make it much more of a Nightwing slash Dick Grayson story which then I would like to think has held people's interest because then it becomes much more a problem for him to conquer rather than just get his memory back. It means there's a bad guy on the other side of it. And I think that's always very important to the process. So that's how we've approached it. That's how I have certainly tried to keep readers. 
Yet, that having been said, at the same time, I'm certainly aware of the fact there are an awful lot of them who are saying, yeah, but we want Dick Grayson back, we want our Nightwing back, and not necessarily the other four characters who have been masquerading in the costumes and, you know, Team Nightwing filling in for them. Like all things, it's kind of walking that balance, but it is, so how do you find a way to make this story important to the character and a real part of the character rather than the character just, you know, wandering through the streets without his memory having been victimized by a gunshot wound from the KG beast. And now he's being controlled by the Joker as part of this Joker War storyline. Right. And that was the other thing that we really wanted to get to, which is, okay, if you're going to do a Joker storyline, and in the Joker War, the basic concept is that the Joker pretty much knows that it's Dick Grayson who is Nightwing, has known all along who the Bat family is in reality. And so if the Joker suddenly had the crystal that the Court of Owls was using to essentially hypnotize Dick Grayson and to block his memories from returning and everything else and input a false personality in him, if the Joker suddenly had that, would he then do the same thing to take advantage of that situation and in in essence plant someone within the bat family to sort of do his bidding and i think again that's part of where you can take these conditions that you inherit in a book and turn it into a more powerful story element that gives it legs and gives you something to work on going forward you know something else i noticed about both of the books nightwing and batman beyond both characters have had to struggle with identity memory loss, who they are. Interesting that that runs in both books. Is there something else you're exploring there? Yeah, coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) Because really what it was is I was doing uh, Batman Beyond and I had a false face storyline in which false face could assume Batman's identity with anyone whose identity assumed that person would not know who they were. So first he did Bruce Wayne. After that, he did Terry McGinnis, Batman. I was in the middle of that when they called and said, hey, do you want to do Nightwing? And the first thing I pointed out is, well, both characters are dealing with these memory loss issues, and I don't want to repeat myself here. But the reality is, at that time, we were already working our way out of it in Batman Beyond. It was basically a one six-issue storyline, whereas Nightwing was a much longer play. So they said, well, don't worry about it. Even though there is that quick hook or that quick sentence You're out of it in Batman Beyond. Nightwing is a different play. So let's see what you can do. So yeah, total coincidence. I'm enjoying it. And I'm looking forward to the return of Nightwing, Dick Grayson. The thing is, bringing the Joker into it too is really interesting because I was not reading DC Comics. Well, it had been a while since I read DC Comics. The last time I read them was back in the 90s around Death of Superman, Zero Hour, Starman. And then I came back right at New 52, right a year into it. And I remember seeing that Death in the Family issue of Batman 13 with the die-cut Joker cover, and that got me back into the books. So I'm into them now because of that, and I really enjoy what you're doing with Nightwing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Good to have you back. It's always funny that uh, when I'm doing a convention or something, and someone comes up to my table and they'll say, you know, I had dropped out of comics for a bit, but I'm back now or something like that. And I always want to say, well, great. You know, it's good to have you back. Thanks for coming back. We appreciate it. It's something I never really dropped out of. I mean, the only time I stopped was high school, college. And I think that was just 
responsibility with school and finances. Yeah, I, I experienced the same thing. I, I know that uh, I never dropped it entirely, mm-hmm. but during the college years, money was scarce. and was like, yeah, I'll just, you know, your couple of your favorites was all you could maintain. That's right. Yeah. And Christmas, I would ask for certain things like comics. Just, that would be the big, big present. Right. <laughs> but uh, never stopped it. I think now, besides favorite characters of mine, I tend to follow creators more, like what they're working on, because I like the way they write or I like their art style. Sure. I mentioned Death of Superman and just want to talk a bit about Superman since you seem to know a few things about the character. And I would like your thoughts on some things. Now, Superman at the movies, I've heard that Warner Brothers is not planning to have another standalone Superman movie, kind of make him the Hulk of the DC Universe, which I find surprising. One of the most iconic characters of all time that everybody knows they don't seem to plan right now to do a standalone movie. And I don't understand it because you would think that'd be a natural place. And I know they've tried. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that it is. I don't know that it isn't. Uh, I've certainly seen those same reports. I find it really hard to believe that a well-done Superman movie cannot launch and then support a standalone Superman franchise. It's really hard for me to understand that. I would think that it would be more than possible to do, but that's just me. I think if the character is portrayed properly, if the movie is constructed properly, I would like to think that there is more than enough room for a Superman franchise that could really endure and do well. But again, I I don't know whether those reports are true or not, so we shall have to see. Well, yeah, there's speculation always, and you can never tell what's just buzz on the internet and what's really going on. Besides, they want to keep some things hidden so they can surprise people later on. I think the acting is good. Henry Cavill, I want to see him do more. You know what? They should consult you about a script for a Superman movie. Uh, Well, that would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think they have perhaps different ways they want to go. I don't know. I agree with you. I think Henry Cavill really makes an outstanding Superman. I think he has the look. I think he has the build. I think he has the presence. I always talk about the presence that Superman has to have on screen. He has that. And I also think he has the chops to portray a very convincing Superman, as well as Clark Kent in terms of the way I think of the character. When I draw Superman, when I think of body posture, when I think of the way he occupies space in the room or in the panel that I'm drawing and all of those things, and that's where I talk about presence and and things like that, I do think Henry Cavill has those things, and I just think makes a marvelous Superman on screen. So it, it would be great to see. Obviously, at this point, and this touches on, again, some of the realities of where we are with COVID. I mean, I just don't know... What is the future of movies overall? We shall see. But yeah, it would be great to have, I think, a real strong Superman franchise. Well, we do have coming up at some point, it might even be the fall. I don't remember exactly when, but it will be on HBO, the Snyder Cut of Batman v Superman, which I've seen the movie and I am interested in seeing everything uncut what they could not fit into the film for theaters. Yeah, same here. I mean, I'm really interested in what the overall vision might be on something like that. If we go through the history of film and we start to look at this group of films that you might say the works of an auteur and what is their vision, what is it that they wanted to get in that movie? 
if we're going to explore that here and really find out what it was that Snyder wanted to do, wanted to say, yeah, that interests me. And, you know, it's one of those things where you can get really interested in whether it is successful or not. You just want to see what was it that the filmmaker wanted to say. The same thing as I can read a book and say, you know, it might not have been something I absolutely love, but it was very interesting just to see what the author was trying to say. What was he trying to portray? What was his goal? So I think that can certainly be extended to this movie. I didn't dislike the movie as it was. I felt there were some things missing that might help clarify the story. So maybe we'll see some of that when we see the the entire thing laid out. Right. Going back to Superman, you did that iconic Superman, Death of Superman issue, which was all one panel, one giant splash page. And I'm wondering, whatever happened to all those pages? Are those all in the hands of private collectors? As I understand it, all the pages but two are now in the hands of one collector. I know when we got done with that issue, Brett Breeding, who inked it, and I sold the book, uh, most of the art, at an auction. And we each kept a page. We had also given a page to Mike Carlin. As I understand it, at this point, there is a collector, because I guess there was an exhibit of this in London a couple of years ago, who has amassed artwork from the book. I still have a page. I know Brett has his. So far as I know, at this point, one person has everything else. That should be in the Library of Congress, like Amazing Fantasy 15. That would have been nice. And at that time, so even in 1992, you know, who knew the Library of Congress would have any real interest in comic book art or anything like that? But yeah, I I agree with you. That would be awesome. You know, Brett comes from and still lives in the town where I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. Oh, really? Okay. Never met him. Maybe I saw him because it's Wilmington. It's a small town, so everybody seems to know everyone. But yeah, he's from where I was born. Very good. Yeah. Well, and Brett still gets out there on the convention circuit every now and then. We've done a couple of shows together in recent years. So who knows? Maybe you'll get your chance. I hope so. Well, now it's time for Kicking Back with the Creator, where I ask you the fun questions to ask all my guests. What do you like to do for recreation? For the most part, I'm kind of a sports junkie. And so I am into football, baseball, for the most part. After that, basketball and hockey, both college and professional level. When I'm not sitting in front of a computer, sitting at a drawing table, anything like that, one of the things I really do like to do is get away from it. I like being outside. I like to find some aspect of activity, just so, again, I'm not just rooted in a chair. And I also like to get away from the thought process of writing. You know, even if I go to a movie, I find that I'm deconstructing the movie as I watch it. It's like, I have done that. Should they have done this? You know, that kind of thing. So I like going to movies, but I don't necessarily find that a break from work. It's just like a different thought process. So that's why I think I enjoy the concept of live sports. They happen without anyone trying to orchestrate it, unless we're talking pro wrestling. Um, But, you know, it's something that unfolds in a very kinetic fashion in front of the viewer. And that's what I like about it. Now, thinking back, what was your favorite birthday and why? Oh, man, I think it would go back to, I believe it was my eighth birthday. Got up that morning and, you know, my parents said, well, we have something to show you right away. So first thing in the morning, it's go outside, brand new Stingray bike sitting there in the driveway. Hop on the bike and I'm riding it first thing in the morning. And 
Probably the bulk of your listeners would have to look up Stingray bike to see what it was, but it was a uh, bike with smaller, like 16 inch wheels, what they called a banana seat on it, that kind of thing, and the high handlebars. And at that time, it was all the rage just to have that kind of a cool bike. And this was a nice gleaming metal, like lime green metal flake paint job. And my birthday is in June. So just to get this pristine June morning where you can get outside and ride a brand new bicycle uh, and one that you had coveted. That's a pretty cool thing. Since that was such an important moment, I bet you can still feel what the weather was like that day. It really stands out in your mind? Pretty much, yeah. And especially because you're talking about a time in June where early in the morning, especially, the birds are singing. It's a cool, crisp, clear kind of day. It's probably Oh, 65 degrees, that kind of thing. Bright sun, not a cloud in the sky. So yeah, I can get pretty close to that. You know, it's funny how you said that some listeners may have to look up that bike. goes back a ways. Yeah. As we're having this conversation, it's Cat Stevens' birthday. He's 72. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. And I think it was before I married my wife. It was around 2005, 2004. She was listening to Cat Stevens. And she says, I can't get this to stop playing. I don't know how to make it stop. What do I do? It was an A-track. And I went over and pulled oh. out the cartridge. <laughs> I just laughed. I said, you need the old guy here that understands the old technology to help you out. Now, this is 15 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I got to say that to a certain extent, I would love to you know, get in a car that has like an 8-track tape player in it and 8-tracks actually pull in it just so I could be in the middle of the song and hear the chakunk. As it moves from, you know, channel two to channel three and as as it shifted tape and everything. Uh, But then, yeah, the nice thing about it is it did not stop. You did not have to take it out like a cassette tape and flip it. It would go and go and go. My father had a massive collection of those country music. The way those were set up is you might have a song part one on one track and then part two on the next track. It would just fade out and fade back in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But as it shifted from track one to track two, you had the loud clunk as it was in there. You could hear the mechanism of the eight track player itself shifting, you know, to pick it up. So it was like, yeah, you'd hear the song. And what was better was double albums on an eight track because you got a little more spread out that way. And you might be listening to Kiss Alive and then Kachunk right in the middle of it and then picking up whatever they were playing. Rock and roll all night. It's like the crackle of the vinyl records. You like that little kathunk. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a hypothetical situation for you. This is the desert island. You're stuck on the desert island. You have one book you can have with you or a set of books if they're related. It can be graphic novels, books, comics. What do you want to have with you to read for pleasure? Oh, boy. That's a... I'm a visual guy. So it would probably go to graphic novels. Prose is nice, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a writer artist, so I'm going to go with something visual as well. Uh, Are omnibuses allowed? Oh, yes. Okay, so, and if I could pick one, assuming that there's an omnibus that, say, might have 100 issues of Fantastic Four, the Lee Kirby run from, like, 1 to 102. Was it 102 or 104? I'm not sure. I think he went up to 102. So I think that would be my pick. If not that, it might be the same thing, issues 1 to 50, if I can't have all 100 issues. But it would be, I think, one of those great 
early runs in Marvel that really defined and built a Marvel universe. And so Fantastic Four, you had so many concepts, so many things that were introduced in that. And you got to see so much of the Marvel universe throughout that run where, I mean, it's really the cornerstone. And yeah, you could make the same argument about Spider-Man, but Spider-Man was more about Spider-Man, whereas to me, FF was more about Marvel. And I think I could always read that stuff and find new things to appreciate. You can't go wrong there, right? I mean, you had the Hulk in there, you had the Avengers in there, X-Men, you had Ant-Man, you had a lot of crossovers for the first time there. Yeah, and you think of the Inhumans, you think of Galactus, Mm -hmm. you think of everything else that we sort of saw there. And it's just this embryonic aspect of the Marvel Universe that you go back and look at it now, the amount of conceptual stuff that came out in that really takes my breath away. Very good choice. One more hypothetical. If DC were to make an action figure of you, what would be your accessory? Ooh, ah, wow. That's really good. I'm sitting here at my drawing board uh, with a laptop perched on it, drawing some stuff. So that's off to the side. I think it would have to be Dan Jurgens with the drawing table, Uh, And on top of that is a laptop, a T-square, a couple of pencils, a couple of triangles, and uh, a calendar book that is open to a list of deadlines. So (laughs) it's a blank board. How's that? Okay. (laughs) It's a lot of accessories. That's great. What a value. You think of the normal just action figure. You know, we had many Batmans that would come in different versions where they had more than just one accessory, right? They had several things. And I think especially what we see with some of the cool McFarlane figures is they come with more than one accessory, right? It's a little more than that. So you want the complete package here. And now what is your beverage of choice when you're relaxing? Hmm. Well, if it's summer, a nice warm day, probably kicking back with a nice, cool, properly chilled Pinot Grigio. If it's a really cold winter night, to me, what I always like at that point is just a nice, shot of a Bailey's Irish cream or something like that late in the evening. The colder it is outside, the better that tastes. There's my advertising slogan for them. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. The colder it is, the better it tastes. There you go. Thinking back to when you were growing up like a teenager, what posters and or pictures did you have on the bedroom wall? That's easy. I can still visualize that. I had a couple of athletes. I know that you know, growing up in Minnesota, I had a Harmon Killebrew poster, a Rod Carew poster. Mm-hmm. I had from the Vikings, both Ellen Page and Carl uh, Eller. The rest of it was all comic stuff. I know I had a Star Trek poster that was not a photograph. It was an illustration, kind of a montage shot of Kirk Spock and then framed with the Enterprise shuttlecraft, Galileo, things like that on it. I was the idiot who would rip out like a double page spread <laughs> from a comic book. I know there was one great Gil Kane shot of Green Lantern, you know, charging forward. I think it had the power battery behind him. And gosh, I took that out and put that on the wall. There was a line of Aurora character model kits mm-hmm. that was, you know, Batman, Robin, Superman. And I had those and I took the boxes and I cut up the boxes and then taped the box cover to the wall so it would hold up, stuff like that. So I was constantly rotating it. And it would be characters that I was into 
And then it would be stuff that I started to draw, you know, based on the comics I was seeing in front of me. And I hang up some of my own stuff because I think, well, that looks pretty good. And, you know, years later, it's go, oh, my God, that sucks. I got to do something better. So, you know, it was always a rotating environment. What was a moment of clarity, a moment of enlightenment or great insight for you in your life? Was there some period in your life where there was an aha moment? Well, there have been several. I, I think that's true for any creator. Uh, hopefully it is, because what they are is they are breakthrough moments. And I've had them both artistically. I've had them from a writing standpoint where, you know, often as a writer, I think it's you're looking for a way to say something in the right way, to portray something in the right way, to find the formula that will make a particular story work or something like that. And you experience that. And it's not just what you realize, Chris, is that it's not just the solution to that story. It's a solution in the way you think that is going to carry you forward. And I think I've had many of those from a writer's standpoint. I think from an artist standpoint, it's that same sort of thing. It could have been uh, when I was first drawing Warlord as a brand new artist working for DC. It was the difficulty of I could draw a person. I could draw a horse. Drawing a person riding a horse, which they were both structured properly, especially if the horse is getting up on its back two legs and kicking up in that classic hi-ho silver thing, getting to the point where you can do that, that was an aha movement. Getting to the point where you have sort of a command of perspective is an aha moment. Getting to the point where you really understand storytelling is that aha moment. And I think one of the realities we are in today as an industry is we have so many writers who are writing film more than comics that we have a greater need for that aha moment of what is comic book storytelling. So I think part of being around for a long time and doing comics for a long time is that you have to have that occur on a fairly regular basis. You know, some of it is even this. When I draw a character, if I'm going to start drawing a series, it takes me two issues as an artist before I start to really feel comfortable with that character. As a writer, it takes me sometimes a little longer than that to really find the voice of that character and truly understand that character. That's an aha moment. And yes, ideally, you have plenty of those during your career. Dan, I really appreciate being on Creator Talks today. And I look forward to where Batman Beyond is heading and Nightwing coming up with Dick Grayson returning. Thank you so much for being on Creator Talks. It was my pleasure. Chris, these were great questions. You didn't ask me how I got in the business. You didn't ask me how did Superman Death Of come about. So these were great questions. I really appreciate it. That's all for this week, folks. Coming up in the weeks ahead, I have two books that are certified cool by Diamond Previews. And we'll also be entering the Twilight Zone. In addition, I have other interviews planned that I can't reveal yet, but if everything comes together, I have some incredible guests coming up. Maybe you're not familiar with all of them, but some of their work you may be familiar with, and the subject matter of their books you've certainly heard of. I'm very excited about the guests coming up in August and September, and I can't wait to share them with you. So don't forget to join me every other Thursday for another interview with a creator, and it's easy to do. Just subscribe through Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, leave a rating and or review for the podcast. It goes a long way to helping the show show up in the search results 
and reach a wider audience. And while you're there, also leave a rating and a review for your other favorite podcast. I'm sure they would greatly appreciate it. But however you listen to your podcast, don't forget to join me in two weeks. And meanwhile, you can follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where I post my comics from my personal collection on Saturdays and Sundays. Follow me at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. And if you want to send me any correspondence, you can reach me through my email account, creatortalks at gmail.com. That's creatortalks at gmail.com. And now I'm going to go reorganize some of my comics. I've been acquiring comics of certain creators as of late, and you've seen those on my social media posts, so they almost belong in their own category. Besides, it's too hot to go outside right now. Thank you all for listening. Stay well, be safe, wear a mask. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time.